Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. We're going to be looking at God's character of love versus Satan's character of fear. Now, I found some scriptures concerning the character of God and the character of Satan that I think give us the key to overcoming some of the negatives in our life. Now, God's way is so simple. You know, I, I looked at these answers and I thought, Lord, this is just so simple. But yet, God's way is always so simple. Now, Jesus came to earth to fulfill two purposes. Number one, he came to earth to reveal God's character of love. He wanted us to know what the Father was like. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then number two, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, it's in understanding God's character of love and what love is and what love can do that we learn how to overcome the enemy in our life. Now, I want to say that again because it's so important. It's when we understand God's character of love and when we understand what love really is and what love is able to do, then we can start learning how to overcome the enemy as he comes against us. Now, I want you to turn to Psalm 103, and we're going to start with verse 6. It says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. God made his ways known to Moses, and he made his acts known to the children of Israel. Okay, Moses was acquainted with the ways of God. In other words, he was acquainted with the character of God, who God is. Now, the children of Israel, on the other hand, they only knew God's actions. They knew what God did. Now, you've all known certain people well enough to know what they're going to do in a certain situation. In fact, sometimes it's easier to know what a person's going to do, and we can know what they're going to do without necessarily knowing why it is that they're doing that. Now, that means that you've figured out their actions, but you don't necessarily know their character. You don't know what motivates them. You don't know what makes them tick. Well, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 8, was quoting from Jeremiah the prophet, and he told us, Jeremiah told us, that there was a day coming when there would be a new and better covenant. And of course, we're living in that day and time. And he said during that covenant, God was going to make himself known to his people. He went on to say that under that new covenant, we would be able to know him intimately. We would be able to discern him clearly. And we would be able to experience him. Well, what Jeremiah was saying, he was saying, you're going to be able to understand the character of God, just exactly like Moses did. You're going to be able to understand his ways under the new covenant. Now, the children of Israel knew only the things that God did, but Moses knew why God did those things. Moses knew God's ways. Now, the ways of God is what makes up his character. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is the character of God. And that's what it is that God is making known to us under the new covenant. He's making known his character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, God's actions are the gifts, the gifts of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. All the nine actions of God, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, prophecy, discerning of spirits, healings and miracles and on and on. Those are the things that God does. Now, we can see God's actions and we can know the things that he will do without knowing his character, without knowing why he does those things. But God is wanting us to be like Moses. 
He wants us to come to the place where we know him intimately, where we know his character and know why he does the things that he does. Now, it's when we understand his character that we're going to be able then to appropriate all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and have them operate in our life the way God intends them to operate. Now, it's possible for a person to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in the actions of God, without having the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why sometimes you'll see someone operate in one of the gifts of the Spirit and you'll think, oh, something's wrong. You know, why are they able to operate in the manifestations of the Spirit when their lifestyle is so contradictory to the Word of God? Well, that's because the gifts can manifest without the fruit. See, gifts are given, but the fruit is something that's grown. Now, the moment that we become born again, we become a new creature in Christ Jesus. But it takes some consistent right choices on our part and it takes a desire in our heart to be more like Jesus in order for that fruit to begin to grow and take root in our life. That's why God's drawing us to the point where we start making consistently right choices based on the Word of God and where we come to a place where we say, Lord, I desire with all of my heart to be like Jesus. And when that happens, then the fruit will automatically begin to grow. That's what causes the fruit to grow. Now, we said that the fruit of the Spirit is God's character. Well, what is the fruit of God's character? I want you to turn to Galatians 5.22. Now, God is love. His character is love. And that love is manifested in a large variety of ways. And when we study these different ways in which agape love manifests, then we're going to begin to understand God's character. In Galatians 5.22... It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, notice that the verb is singular. The fruit of the Spirit or the character of God is love. 1 John tells us that God is love. That's His character. And that love will manifest in joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and a sound mind of discipline. Some of your translations will say self-control. Now, later look up John 13, 35, but it says, By this will all men know that we're his disciples. How will they know that we're his disciples? It says, if we have love. Okay, why is it that love makes us known as his disciples? Because God's character is love. And that's how the world knows that we belong to him, if we have his character. In other words, if we have the different manifestations of his love operating in our life, that's how the world knows that we belong to him. Okay, look at the last part of verse 23. He's just named the fruit of the Spirit, and it says, Against such things there is no law. Okay, if we walk in God's character, in the fruit of his Holy Spirit in the fruit of love, and in all the manifestations of love, we're never going to have to worry about the law. See, the character of God takes us into a higher realm of the Spirit where there is no law. Now, another scripture that's important is 1 John 2.10. You can look it up later. But it says, The one who loves abides or remains in the light. When a person is there, it says there is no stumbling. Okay, that's saying the same thing, that when we operate in the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. Okay, when, when we abide in love, we're abiding in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in the light. Now, it's easy sometimes for us to think, well, Lord, I do believe that I have your character of love operating in my life. But when we break love down, we can be a little bit more accurate in our evaluation. 
Now, the reason that we need to understand the different facets of God's love is because we use that word love so loosely. Think about what we do. We say, I love God. And then we say, I love my dog. I love apple pie. I love my husband. I love my fellow man. I love chocolate candy. You know, and we've just used that word so loosely. See, it's a catch-all word that just pops very loosely out of our mouth all of the time. So it's kind of an abstract cop-out just to say, Lord, I want you to manifest your love inside of me. You know, and we just say that all the time, and half the time we don't even mean it. But when we break love down and we say, Lord, I want you to develop within me your joy, the joy of my salvation. So when the world sees me, they're going to want what I've got. Lord, I want you to develop your peace, the peace that passes human understanding in me. So that when the world sees me calm and trusting in you, they're going to want what I have. See, that's how the world knows that we belong to him because they see this love and love manifested in all of these different ways. Lord, I want you to develop kindness in me. Lord, I want to be a kind person. I want to be good like you are. Lord, I'm asking you to develop gentleness in me and, and faithfulness. Father, I want you to be able to trust me. Lord, I want you to develop within me a sound mind that's disciplined on the Word of God. See, when we do that, then love begins to take on more meaning. It begins to give us a broader understanding of God's ways. It begins to allow us to see what God's character really is when we say that God is love. Okay, what are some other ways in which God's love manifests? Well, we studied several weeks ago that God's love will manifest in compassion. If you'll remember, it was God's love from heaven that manifested in compassion through Christ Jesus to meet the needs of people. And He still wants His love to manifest through us that way, to meet the needs around us. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'm going to be reading this out of the Amplified Bible. But I want you to be taking special note of the ways in which God's character of love manifests because we're going to then look at how Satan's character manifests and we're going to do some contrasting. Now, we've already named nine ways in which his love manifests. So I want you just to keep listing them out. Now this list in 1 Corinthians 13 is just going to give you sort of an amplification, just kind of a broader explanation of love. We're going to start in verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful. It's not vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. The agape kind of love is not conceited. It's not arrogant, inflated with pride. It's not rude. It's not unmannerly. It does not act unbecomingly. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. It's not self-seeking. It's not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of an evil done to it, and it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but it rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It's ever ready to believe the best in every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. God's agape love never fails, it never fades out, it never becomes obsolete, and it never comes to an end. Okay, now as we go through these different characteristics of God, I want you just to mentally take note of the ones that are evident in your life. 
Now, like I said earlier, it's easy sometimes to think, God, I, I believe I do have your love working in my life. But when we break it down like this, and we see what agape love really is, then we can be a lot more accurate in our evaluation because then we can ask ourselves, we can say, am I joyful in the face of adverse circumstances? Do I get jealous and do I get resentful when things come up? Am I rude? Am I haughty? Do I act unbecomingly? Ask yourself these questions. Do I always seek to have my own way? In other words, am I selfish? Do I rejoice when right and truth prevail? Do I? Do I bear up under everything? Do I believe the best in other people? See, God's love is hopeful. We need to ask ourselves, am I hopeful? Am I expectant? Do I expect the Word of God to work? Do I endure all things without wavering, without doubting? Okay, God's love, it says, never ends. It never fails. God's love manifests in compassion. We need to ask ourselves, am I allowing God's love to flow through me to meet the needs of other people? God's love is manifested in humility. He loved the world so much that he humbled himself to die for the world. And he told us to have the same attitude in us that was in Christ Jesus, the same kind of humility. Let me give you the definition of the God kind of humility. Humility is understanding who our authority is and then choosing to place ourselves under that authority. In other words, it's coming to a place where we realize, I really can't do a thing in and of myself. But I know the one who can do all things and I choose to place myself under him and therefore I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. And see, that's the God kind of love manifesting through us in humility. Now, when I know how God's love manifests, then I know where to start working on my character. Okay, now I've given you a fairly good list of how God's character of love manifests. Now let's look at the character of the enemy. Now, just as all the different ways in which God's character manifests can be summed up in one word, love, or agape, there is one word that sums up all the different evil manifestations of Satan's character. And that one word is fear. Now, fear is the opposite of love. A lot of people think hate is the opposite of love. But in reality, hate is just a manifestation of fear, just like joy is a manifestation of love. Fear is the opposite of love, and it's Satan's bottom line characteristic. Now, all of the other evil manifestations of the enemy will stem from the root of fear. I want you to turn to Genesis 3, verse 10. Now, we're going to find that fear will manifest itself in just as many evil ways as love manifests itself in good ways. Now, Adam had been spiritually alive, and when he sinned, he became spiritually dead. See, we go from death to life, but he went from life to death. He had the life of God in him from the beginning, but when he sinned, he moved out of life and he moved into the realm of death. Now, this is the first statement that Adam made after he changed kingdoms. And in verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you. He's talking to God. And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid. 
Okay, when Adam moved out of the kingdom of light and moved over into the kingdom of darkness, he took on the character of Satan, which is fear. Now, he didn't say, I heard you in the garden and I hated, or I heard you in the garden and I was angry. See, he took on the opposite of God's character, which is fear. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I want you to see this all through the Word. I want you to look at Ezekiel 28. Now, this is an Old Testament scripture which very clearly shows us the personification of Satan in the earthly king of Tyre. Now, this portion of scripture is going to tell us who Satan was. It tells us what happened to him, and it tells us why it happened to him. Who Satan was, what happened to him, and why it happened. We're going to start in verse 15. God said, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. And he was. God created him as Lucifer. He was one of the archangels. And he was blameless until unrighteousness was found in him. God said, By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. I've cast you out of heaven. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. He said, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. And I've cast you to ground. I've put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade. That simply means that he didn't keep that evil to himself. He peddled his merchandise. And when he did, he profaned the sanctuaries. A third of the angels went with him. Therefore, he said, I have brought fire from the midst of you, and it has consumed you. I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified. Now, some of your translations will say you have become a terror, but the most accurate translation is you have become terrified. See, when Satan sinned, his character became one of fear. He literally became terrified. Now, that's why the Bible tells us in several hundred different places, fear not, don't be afraid. See, God is saying, don't have the character of the enemy in you. It would be the same way if, if Satan had written it. He would be saying about God, love not, don't have the character of God in you. So God's saying, fear not, because see, all of the evils of Satan are a manifestation of fear. Now you say, well, not all fear is bad. What about the fear of the Lord? Well, there's no such thing as a good fear in the, in the sense of a satanic fear. Our English language is so limited kind of like we said earlier, that one word love doesn't adequately express what love really is. You know, we just use love for everything. So the one word fear shouldn't be used to describe Satan and also describe our feelings about God. See, the word we're really looking for when we're referring to our attitude about God is a reverential awe. It's a, it's a reverential respect that we have for God. God doesn't want us to be terrified of him any more than we would want one of our children to be terrified of us. God's wanting our respect. He wants us to stand in awe of him. He wants us to be reverent when we come before him and know that he is the God of the universe and just stand there in awe looking at him. See, that's not fear. That, that's a, a reverence that God's wanting to come forth from us. The reverence and, and the respect of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Now I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. Now this scripture gives us a lot of information. It also gives us a confirmation about these other scriptures that we've been reading. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay, this is saying that God's not given us the character of the enemy. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but instead he has given us power, love, and a sound mind of discipline. Okay, he offers three categories of himself here. He's saying, I've not given you the character of the enemy. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you power. Okay, that represents all the actions of God. Like we said earlier, the gifts or the manifestations of God's Holy Spirit, his actions, his power. He said, I've given you love. That's his character, the motivation behind his actions, the fruit of the Spirit. And then he's given us a sound mind of discipline. In other words, he's given us his wisdom to know how to apply his power and, and how to apply his love. Okay, now let's take this scripture just a little bit further. When God says, I've not given you a spirit of fear, that is including all of the ways in which Satan's character of fear manifests. See, every evil thing that you can come up with derives from the character of fear. Now, some of the evils are not going to look like a manifestation of fear at first glance, but if it's coming from the enemy, then fear's back there somewhere. It may be hidden, and you may not can see it as fear, but there's a root of fear. Okay, I want you to look at Revelation 21, verse 8. These are all giving us information about the character of the enemy. In Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, some translations will say the cowardly, but fearful is the best rendering. He names that first. He says the fearful will have a part in the lake of fire. Now, that really bothered me. Because I used to read that and I thought, Lord, you know, I don't know anyone that doesn't have some fear in their life, and I certainly know I have some fear in my life. But this is more than an occasional emotion of fear. This is referring to the one who has the character of fear and the evil manifestations of fear in their life, the ones who have the character of the enemy. Okay, now with this in mind, now I want you to look at 1 John 4, verse 18. This scripture in 1 John is our foundational scripture for this lesson. Okay, we've looked at the character of God, which is love. We've looked at the character of Satan, which is fear. And then in 1 John 4, verse 18, God says there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. In other words, he's saying there is none of Satan's characteristics in God's character. But he says perfect love casts out fear. Okay, the perfect manifestation of God's character of love, love in all the ways in which love manifests, will cast out fear and all of the ways in which fear manifests in our life. Now, this is too hard to appropriate when we just think of love in the broad sense or maybe when we think of fear in the broad sense and we just say, okay, love casts out fear but we can't really appropriate it and make it come alive inside of us. But when we realize that every manifestation of love will cast out the manifestations of fear, then we can begin to appropriate it in our life. And that's why we have to break down love into the different characteristics like we did 
And we have to break down fear into its different evil characteristics. And then we can find the exact manifestation of love that will cast out each different manifestation of fear. But we've got to be willing to judge ourselves. We're going to have to look at our weaknesses and we're going to have to come to a place where we're honest and we say, okay, Lord, help me to see what area of fear is still manifesting in my life. And then once we find it, then we can find one of the ways in which love is manifested that will cast out that particular manifestation of fear out of our life. Because see, the perfect manifestation of love in that particular area will cast out that manifestation of fear. Now, once you recognize your area of fear, then forget the fear and begin to concentrate on the love reciprocal. Now, this is important. Wherever the manifestation of fear is in your life, whatever it is in your life, there's going to be some manifestation of love that will cast it out. Okay, now I want us to go through the list of, of the fruit of God's Spirit, and I want to give you some examples. Let's say God's peace. God's peace is a manifestation of His agape love. Now I want you to think how many manifestations of Satan's character of fear can be cast out with God's love. Turmoil, confusion, dissension, strife. You can just name on and on. These are all manifestations of Satan's character of fear. But true peace, which is a manifestation of God's love, will cast out that turmoil. It'll cast out confusion. It'll cast out the upheaval in our life. See, peace and confusion cannot abide together. And if we'll hang on to God's peace and just continue seeking after God's peace, it will eventually cast out the upheaval and the turmoil in our life. Perfect love casts out fear. In this case, perfect peace, which is a manifestation of love, will cast out the turmoil, the confusion, which are manifestations of fear. Now, joy is a manifestation of love. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says that joy comes to give us strength. Now, there's many manifestations of fear that we can be cast out by the strength-building joy. Grief and despondency and despair. These are all manifestations of fear, and every one of those will rob your strength. If you stay in despair, you're going to find out you don't have any strength left. But perfect love casts out fear. Joy casts out despair. And perfect joy, which is a manifestation of love, it'll begin to build your strength and it'll begin to cast out even the fatigue that comes in from, from the grief and, and, and the despair and the despondency. God's love manifested in humility will cast out every form of pride. It'll cast out all of the different ego trips that people go on that manifest from Satan's fears. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, all of those are manifestations of God's love, and they have various satanic manifestations of fear that they cast out. Now, the last one listed in Galatians 5.22 is the sound mind of discipline. And God also listed that one in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. He said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but I've given you power, love, and sound mind. And that sound mind of discipline, that's a part of God's love that will drive out a long list of different manifestations of fear. Compulsion, nervous habits, escapes of all kinds. Okay, what does the sound mind of discipline take in? Well, it's the sound mind that is disciplined to know I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. 
It's that sound mind of discipline that has been worked on and it has disciplined our mind to take every negative thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now you could make a long list of the manifestations of fear that can be cast out with this manifestation of love, this sound mind of discipline. See, unforgiveness can even be cast out with a choice that we make from our sound mind of discipline that's based on the Word of God to choose to forgive. Fear of failure is a big culprit that harasses so many Christians. And a sound mind of discipline, which is a form of God's love, will choose to believe Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. As we discipline our mind and we have that manifestation of love going on in our soulish realm, then we'll come to the place where we believe that we can do all things through Christ more than we believe all those failure thoughts. And as we continue to operate in that manifestation of love, those thoughts of fear of failure will eventually be gone. See, the perfect manifestation of love casts out all the different manifestations of fear. Now, there was the tough love that Jesus demonstrated when he drove the unrepentant sin and, and rebellion out of the temple. Now, that was a form of God's love, seeking to keep man from destroying himself through greed and through selfishness and through disobedience, through the love of money. Now, all of these things derive from fear. The fear of not having needs met, the, the fear of not having enough. See, disobedience is nothing more than the fear of, of losing control and not getting our way. Now, there's something that there's sometimes a tough love needed because it's that form of love that will cast the disobedience out of our life. Okay, what about doubts and insecurities and reasoning and logic and questioning? All of these are manifestations of fear. Okay, what did we say earlier that was another way in which God's love manifests? Okay, in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, it says God's love endures everything without doubting. Okay, there's something about just knowing the fact that God's love is going to endure everything without doubting and then knowing that God's love has already been poured in my heart by the Holy Spirit that's going to drive away the doubts that come rolling in all the time from different things that surround us in, in this world. See, when the storms of life present themselves, if we just remember that God's perfect love never wavers, that's going to cause something to rise up on the inside of us to say, I have God's love inside of me, and I don't care what it is that comes along. I'm not going to waver in my faith because I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. That's God's love manifested through me. And as we say it, faith begins to grow because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And then as we get that in our spirit, then the insecurities and the doubts begin to flee. Perfect love does cast out every manifestation of fear. Now, it boils down to our confessing this word on the agape love until we believe it, until we know that's what's on the inside of us. But, you know, so often we have to know what manifestation of fear that we're dealing with in order to know what manifestation of love is going to cast it out. Now, earlier we said that in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that one of the manifestations of God's love is hope. Well, despair and depression can put a Christian out of commission. And I want you to look at how many Christians are operating in despair and hopelessness. Now, all of that is a result of fear. But when we begin to realize that God's love is in us, 
And that love manifests, it says right here, in hope. And that hope activates faith. Then that hope or that expectation is going to drive out all the despair. It'll drive out the despondency. It'll drive out the discouragement. God has a perfect manifestation of love that will cast out every manifestation of fear. In verse 7, God's love believes the best. Okay, the character of Satan is critical and, and judgmental and always accusing. Can you see that God's love in you, His character in you, that believes the very best will cast out that criticism and that judgment and that accusation? In verse 7, we read that God's love bears up under anything. Okay, you see people who have to escape. Maybe they're escaping into alcoholism or drugs or illicit sex or something else in this world. They're escaping from life. Well, God's love that literally bears up under anything is on the inside of us, and it will drive out Satan's character of fear that motivates us to want to escape. When we understand that his love bears up under anything and his love is already dwelling in us, then it'll cast out and it'll put away that fear. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 tells us that God's love rejoices when right and truth prevail. Okay, that kind of love in us that rejoices when right comes, when, when truth prevails, that's going to overpower Satan's influence of fear that leads us to want to rebel or, or, or want to lie. See, anytime we're rejoicing in right and truth, then rebellion and lies can't stay. Perfect love casts out those manifestations of fear and all the things that come from fear. Satan's character is always the opposite of God's character. Now, it's God's love in us that takes no account of a suffered wrong. Here in verse 5. Love that manifests by taking no account of a suffered wrong will overpower Satan's influence of fear that causes us to get in hurt and rejection. How many Christians do you know that are out of commission because they're over here licking their wounds? They're in hurt. They're in rejection. But if we realize that God's love inside of us takes no account of a suffered wrong, that love in us will begin to cast out all the hurt and all the rejection. Because 1 Peter 2, 4 tells us that we're chosen of God. We're not rejected. We're precious. We're choice and precious in His eyes. Now, God's character of love takes no account of an evil done to it. Satan's character of fear leads us into self-pity and anger and retaliation. But do you see where when we realize that we have God's love in us and that love takes no account of an evil done, it will begin to cast out the self-pity. It will begin to cast out the anger. God wants to be our vindicator. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can just go down this list. God's love is not self-seeking. It's not touchy. See, selfishness comes from fear, the character of the enemy, and it can only be cast out by God's agape love, God's character, manifesting in us in a love that's not touchy, it's not selfish. Now, God wants us to know that we can take the different manifestations of love, all the ones that we've named, the ones in the fruit of the Spirit, the ones that we've named here in 1 Corinthians, and there's going to be one particular one that will cast out any manifestation of fear that Satan can bring against you. God's love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8, it never fails. See, when His perfect love operates in our life, it will never fail to cast out whatever area of fear is trying to come against us. Now, Jesus taught this in the Beatitudes. He taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Every manifestation of Satan's character has an opposite manifestation of God's love that will destroy it. Now I want you to look for the last scripture in 1 John 3 verse 8. Now we have so many scriptures that tell us that Jesus came to explain the Father. Explain the Father's character of love. Hebrews 3 verse 1 is just one of the many scriptures that tells us that he's the exact replica of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, in 1 John 3 verse 8, the last part of verse 8 says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. Okay, now what did we say earlier? We said Jesus came for two purposes. He came, number one, to reveal God, to reveal his character, and he came to destroy the works of the enemy. Now, most of the time, we've seen these as two separate purposes. But that's not necessarily so. We need to put them together. Jesus came to explain the Father's love and all the ways in which that love, that agape love manifests in order that we can begin to operate in those different manifestations of love. And that will in turn destroy and cast out Satan's works. That's what's going to cast out the manifestations of, of the fear coming from the enemy. See, the perfect love of the Father operating through us will cast out every form of fear. Now, the next time you see this scripture in 1 John, where it talks about 1 John 4, verse 18, where it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I want you to stop and don't just take this and let it be a, a lot of words, but I want you to realize that God is saying there is no fear. There is no manifestation of Satan's character in the agape love. And that the perfect love of God and all the ways in which God's love manifests will cast out any area of fear that tries to come against you from the enemy. That's what he's wanting us to do. He's wanting us to understand the character of God so that we can allow his character to flow through us to destroy the works of the enemy. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to reveal your character to us. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to destroy the works of the enemy. And I thank you, Father, that as he is, so are we to be in this world. Now, Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us helpless and hopeless, but, Father, you poured your love out into our heart by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I thank you that your character is love. And I thank you that for all the many ways in which your love manifests through us, and I thank you, Lord, that as your love manifests through us, it will, in fact, cast out all fear. It'll cast out all of the character of the enemy, all of the ways in which the enemy's spirit of fear tries to manifest in us and tries to manifest in others around us. Father, thank you that you've given us the opportunity to be partners with you. Now, Lord, we are asking you tonight that you will develop your love in us. But, Father, we don't want to think in terms of your love in just the broad sense. But, Father, I thank you that when we think of your love, that we're going to begin saying, Father, I want your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we want all these things to be developed in us. We want your sound mind of discipline. Lord, we want your humility. We want your compassion to flow through us. And Lord, all the ways in, in which your love manifested in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Lord, we want that to be our characteristic. We want to walk in the light and abide in the light where there is no cause of stumbling in us. 
And we thank you that we can do that. We thank you that that is the opportunity that you've given to us because we belong to you. And that's how the world will know us when we have your love flowing through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.